Good morning. How are we doing today? Yeah? Excellent. Uh, my name is Jason. It's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you today. Guess what? We're going to finish Ruth today. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It's always good to finish a book that you started, um, and we'll just say that. So we're looking forward to what the Lord will do today. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. We'll finish up um, what the whole, the whole book there. So um, if you need a Bible, we have some in the very back. I'm going to put the text up on the screen, though, for you. Uh, as Pastor Reeve said, hey, if you're a newcomer here, we want you to know that you're welcome. Uh, whether you're checking out a new church or you came with somebody or you're just actually considering the claims of the gospel um, or even if you do believe in God. We want you to know this is a place where you can learn that. You can ask questions. So we want you to be welcomed here. Um, quick announcement. This Sunday today is the first Sunday that Doxology Church begins public service. So, yeah. If you were able to come out last night to the celebration dinner, um, you got to see a little bit more about that. But we're so excited. So thank you for your... Thank you for your time and your prayer and just how much our church has put into um, doing that. So we're so excited, and they're off to a great start. But enough about them. All right. Um, here's a part of the Bible that disturbs me every time I read it, Genesis uh, 28. You know the, the part where Jacob and Esau are basically wrestling to see who's, which child is going to have the blessing? Listen to this. Esau found out that Jacob had ripped off his blessing. Listen to what he said. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he wanted a blessing. Bitterness. We've seen this before in Ruth. He was devastated. It wasn't that his dad didn't love him. If you, if you, you remember the story, Esau kind of sold his birthright. He's like, I don't need my birthright. I don't care that the promise is supposed to go through me. I'm hungry. And Jacob was smart and, and a deceiver. We want a blessing. We're built for it. You and I are meant to walk in a blessing um, we seek blessing all the time. What is blessing? Well, it's a lot of things, but it's this. You know that you belong. You know that your life matters. Um, a blessing is belonging, and curse is the exact opposite. It's this is beyond me. This is beyond my reach. There's no way for me to grab it. And this is what you heard in Esau's voice, that bitterness. So today, you need to hear something. Because here's what I believe about us. Now, we're going to talk about blessing because that's kind of the way that Ruth ends up. But I, the more I thought and prayed about this, I am convinced that you are so hypercritical of your life. You are so drawn to what your life is not, what your life has not become, what is wrong with you, what is wrong with your circumstances, 
what may not ever be in your life, you're so overwhelmed by that and so drawn in and so hypercritical of everything in your life, you've made it merely impossible for you to receive any blessing that God is handing out to you. If you are self-focused on that, if you're wrapped up in what you are not, you cannot, you, you don't have any hands open to receive from what God has. I believe that. There's such a hypercriticalness um, in life that we just, we just can't do it. We, it's hard for us to even believe that God would want to bless us. I think we can believe that, yeah, I know that my story kind of fits into God's great story, whatever that means. But when it comes to me on Tuesday morning and I'm back at it, I don't feel blessed. My circumstances do not look blessed. I'm really wondering what you mean that God wants to bless me. You need to understand that. We need, we need to understand what this means. And this is how Ruth finishes up. Um, yeah, so I'm going to read the text, and then we're just going to jump in. We're going to jump in. This is going to be Ruth chapter 4, finishes up, verse 13. I want you to look for how God resolves the disaster that is the book of Ruth. And how he resolves it locally in their time and pushes it forward. Okay? Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Speaking of the son, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Key verse. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then it ends with the genealogy. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nishon. Nashon fathered Solomon, Solomon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we come to you in humility and we beg your mercy, and I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here understanding very clearly what it means that you desire that we receive blessing from you this very day. Lord, would you, would you do that? We ask that. Would you open up this word for us that we might behold its beauty and its treasure and its great value? We lift this up in the name of Jesus, who is even now interceding at your right hand. Amen. Um, we know that you have, maybe some of you still have your scripture journals, so I'm just going to get to the punchline right now. Wh- where is this text going? Y- your blessing, God's blessing. 
So the, the pressure of this, the way the book resolves is this. You're called first to believe God's blessing. I don't think you can do that right now. It's hard. You have to believe that God is in the business of bringing you blessing. When we sing that song, Glorious Grace, what is the outcome of God's grace in your life? Is it not blessing? Is it not glorification? Is it not unrestricted access to him even now? So you must believe God's blessing, but you also need to receive it. If you don't believe God's here to bless you, as Hebrews says, you're not going to be able to receive it. If you don't believe that he rewards you or wants to bless you, how in the world would you even give it the time of day to actually receive that blessing? So it's you must believe God's blessing, receive God's blessing, and then the outcome of a life that does that is you will be God's blessing. I know it all rhymes. They don't teach you that in pastor school, um, or they probably do. I just wasn't listening. I do it for me, okay? I do it to make it easier for me. Um, but the call of text is this. Uh, you need to believe God's blessing, you need to receive it, and then you will be God's blessing. So let's walk through together as God resolves this text. First, believe God's blessing. Do you understand that your greatest temptation is to look at God, to understand the living God, to understand his character through the lens of your circumstances? You will look at your life, you will look at the things that have not happened or the disaster that you can't fix, and everybody has circumstances in their life that they can't fix. You will look through that lens, and then you will define who God is. Or you will say, this is who God is. I'm looking at him through my circumstances. This is exactly what Naomi does when we meet her, and she's coming back into Bethlehem after losing her husband, losing both of her sons, and dragging this Moabite back into Bethlehem in shame. This is what she says. Remember that? Uh, chapter 1, verse 19. What does she say? As her friends see her, oh, is this, is this Naomi? She's back into Bethlehem. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, that means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity to me? She's walking, th- this is hard. Are you going to counsel her? Hey, just be happy. No, no, but she's defining herself. There's an identity shift. I'm, no, not, I'm not even Naomi anymore. Call me bitter because that's what God has brought to me. Calamity. I've lost everything. I've come back. She's seeing God through the lens of her circumstances. No belief, very little belief. And her convictions are God is witnessing against me. In other words, I feel cursed. Press pause on that for a minute. Let's not imagine we can disobey God and live how we want and have God's blessing. Okay, so there's another side to this. God calls us to worship him. Right? So we're not exactly sure what part of that was going on, but we do know this. She walked back into Bethlehem in faith, but she felt cursed. Right? She's looking at God or understanding who God is in her life through the lens of her circumstances. What we're called to do this, we are to look at our circumstances backwards. We are to look at our circumstances, understand how things are working out in our life through the lens of what? God's covenant love or his hased, as we've seen 
uh, through the book of Ruth. You're to understand your circumstances through the lens of God is absolutely, totally, and finally committed to you. That's what covenant means. It literally means that you belong to God and he belongs to you. So the things that you can't solve are his problem. Like, but they're not getting fixed. I understand that. We'll get to the end of this and see how he resolves it. But you have to understand, that is what covenant means. It is an absolute commitment. And his commitment to you, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in him, if you're willing to walk in faith, his commitment to you is not mediated or mitigated by your commitment to him. In other words, his faithfulness in your life does not slow down when your faithfulness does. That's not how God works. When he redeemed his people out of Egypt, he said, no, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm, great acts of judgment. Hey, I'm going to take you to be my people. You're going to belong to me, and I will be your God. I will belong to you. That's covenant love. That's said. That's how it works. So you're to look at your life and understand everything that's pivoting, everything that's unfolding through the lens of God's commitment to you, meaning your circumstances do not control your destiny. Did you see how this ends? Your circumstances do not write your story. Sure feels like it, man. Yes, but they don't. Naomi started to thaw. Do you remember that? Um, Chapter 2, verse 20. Um, And and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, speaking of Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. She's starting to take notice of the story God is writing around her. She's willing to believe, possibly, that God has not forsaken her, that maybe even Ruth is a blessing, that maybe even this relative Boaz, who's still in Bethlehem, is a blessing. In fact, maybe, just maybe, She's connecting these dots and saying, God's doing this. God has not left me. God has not forsaken me. She's starting to look at God, her circumstances through the lens of God's love for her. For her. Um, listen, friends, and this is going to sound so judgmental, but I'm a pastor, so I, get paid to get, I just get paid to be judgmental. It's part of my job description. Just kidding. Pain intensifies self-focus. I'm going to say that to you. All right? It just does. Does that mean I'm a more selfish person? I don't know what it means, but I do know that it's true. When you have pain, when you have suffering, when you have dashed dreams, when you have chronic disappointment, you will be more self-focused. It's kind of like this um, when it comes to hope. Have you ever seen a pair of binoculars? You know what those are? They still have those? All right. So when I was a kid, I loved to play with my dad's binoculars, but I would use them backwards because I thought that was more fun. So when you look through binoculars backwards, you look through the big part of the lens, it it telescopes everything so everything looks so far away. So if I had binoculars right now and I was looking at you, you would look like you're like a half mile away. Hey, that might be useful. It it goes backwards. What's supposed to happen is you flip it so the big lenses are on the outside, and then it makes everything look close. When you're suffering pain, disappointment, disaster, frustration, that's your life. Hope seems so far away, you can't even see it. It's not relevant to me anymore. 
it's obvious that God is witnessing against me. It's like looking through binoculars backwards. Hope is too far away. But the call is to belief, because here's what belief does. Belief brings this hope back into focus. Right? This is Romans 8.28, where all things work to the good of those who love God and have been called to his have been called according to his purposes. It's like, if you are honestly going to believe that all things in your life work to good, then you have better believe God is in command. You had better put your eyes on the end game and understand he is not forsaking you. Right? L- understand your circumstances through the, lo- the love that God has for you. If you do not believe that, you will never have an open hand. You will never take a step towards the blessing that he has for you. You're just not going to do it. You're not convinced that he's good enough. Okay? And I say this understanding as I read here. How do you say that to Naomi? You're like, I know you lost your husband and your, your sons, and, but you know, this is where we meet the Lord, friends. This is where a creed or a confession or your Sunday school lesson becomes faith. It's in the midst of disaster. So you first must believe God's blessing. You must absolutely be convinced that God wants to bless you. Secondly, you need to receive it. And this, this is what you see really where faith starts to grow. Um, listen, God's blessing exceeds your wildest dreams. Doesn't that just sound like something you'd put on your refrigerator on a really campy picture? But it's absolutely true. Let's look at the text, all right? Boaz receives Ruth as his wife. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. Don't overlook that. He was not, it seems to us from the text, he was not married. He was an older bachelor. It feels to me like he had things kind of planned out. This was not in his life plan. He decides to take Ruth as his wife for probably several reasons, but at core, he wanted to give security to both her and Naomi and his relative Elimelech. Hold his name on the land. He decides to do that. He does that. Ruth decides to actually marry Boaz to give her mother-in-law security and to raise up children. These are big decisions. Naomi decides to receive, this is so good, Obed, this little kid, as her own. Please don't miss that. And you do realize that Ruth was married for a decade, probably, and never had a child. You see the Lord working here? And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. God's blessings will exceed your wildest dreams. Not one of these people signed up for this. Naomi didn't want to come back to Bethlehem, a widow without kids. I don't think Ruth wanted to leave Moab. That wasn't her plan in life. God put it before her, and she had to receive it in faith. Naomi had to walk back into Bethlehem in faith because she'd heard God was showing up there. And Boaz had to take on Ruth and all that that meant in faith, believing this is what God had for him. If you don't believe that God's blessing in your life exceeds your life plan, you will not open your hand 
to receive it. The fact that Naomi actually received this little one, Obed, she opened her hands and put this child in her lap and received this little one as her own, meaning this is a consummation of God's goodness and blessing in her life and through Ruth and through Boaz. And she can see the hand of God working all of this out and she's willing to receive it, not in bitterness or in, well, whatever, it's not my kid. And she receives this little one. You know what she never received, though? She never received an explanation from God, did she? We don't see that. And you have spent so much energy and time on why with God that you just cannot receive what he has for you. Like, I need to know, I need to know the footnote before I can take this. You don't get that. God's blessing does exceed what we have planned, so don't despise what he puts in your lap. For Naomi, that was a grandchild from a Moabite. I don't know what that is for you, but you've got to understand this is God. You just have to trust in God's faithfulness. You have to be willing to walk in faith and receive what he has for you. Um, for Ruth, it was, she received security. Right? She, she received good things from God. So did Naomi, and so did Boaz, but they had to be willing to open their hands and receive him. And Naomi has scars for the rest of her life. Didn't fix everything. This has a happy ending, even more happy than we can think, but she still lost her husband and two sons. Ruth probably still never saw her family again. And Boaz was just a busy dude, right? The love that he extended um, was a massive commitment, massive commitment. But Naomi's emptiness became fullness. Do, do not miss this. Her bitterness transitioned into blessing. God brought a child that these women called her redeemer. They're not talking about Boaz. They're talking about Obed, whose name actually means servant in Hebrew. He's your redeemer, that little grandchild. Oh, how prophetic that is. He brings God's blessing into your lap. He anchors you back to your family. Even through the craziest of circumstances, this daughter-in-law who anchored herself to you in love. Um, Many times we are absolutely convinced that redemption or deliverance means God's taking me away from circumstances. He's taking them out of my life. And it never works that way. Sometimes it does, I'll be honest. But you have to understand God is redeeming you through your circumstances. Every single time. He's delivering you through your circumstances. Psalm 119.71, it says, It was good that I was afflicted because I learned the law of the Lord. What does that mean? It means you learned it was true. You learned that you could walk in trust. You embraced it. Uh, there's only, only affliction can teach you that. Um, and we've all had it. So don't despise what God places in your lap. Your call is to receive it. And sometimes that's a season of prolonged disappointment and pain and frustration. And it feels like it never ends. That's what God has for you. Maybe it's a child you didn't really want. 
That's what God has for you. Maybe it's an illness. That's what God has for you. Is he punishing me? No. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Whatever he places in your life. Maybe it's a great opportunity. Well, I'm afraid if I take it, um, God will take it. This is what God has for you. Walk in faith. Let him work out the details. Well, I need to know why. No, you don't. And if you did, I don't know what would happen. Trust God. Let him, let him be God. Um, I don't belong here. Can I just say that? You're like, yeah, I know. I, I didn't go to school to become a pastor. Well, I did later in life, but like, I, I was in a different industry. And um, it was very clear to my wife and I about eight years ago, this is what the Lord had for us. And I, it just was like, are you kidding me? We literally said that. You've got to be kidding me. Um, but we, were, we knew it. And we took it, and, oh, it wasn't fun. It was a rough beginning, but I would not give that up for the world. This is what the Lord had for us, and his plan far exceeded my life plan. Can I just tell you that? I, I will never doubt him. He knows what he's doing. I love it here. I love what we get to do. Um, it's been the biggest blessing that Chris and I have ever had. I just want to tell you that. But... He dropped it in our lap. I tell you, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say, mm, that's nice. Let's just put that over there. It's not mine, Lord. Obviously, you're getting this wrong. You will never receive God's blessing until you let go of your own pain and you let go of your own plans and you're willing to walk in faith. It's not going to happen. Ruth is teaching us this. So believe God's blessing, receive it, and also be God's blessing. This is kind of the theme in the sermon series, your every move matters. Can, can we just take a quick inventory of how that's true? Let me show you the most unremarkable people in the most unremarkable place doing the most insignificant mundane acts of faith. Can I show you? Bethlehem, Nowheresville. It's south of Jerusalem. It's not one of the big cities in the promised land. There's a lot of wheat and stuff, and it, it's not, we wouldn't, it, it, it's like not Bethesda, it's not D.C., it's not Arlington, it's not even Gainesville. It's like someplace you've never heard of before. Um, it's like that. Who's Ruth? A 20-year-old Moabite from an enemy of Israel who lost her husband. Nobody. Who's Naomi? Nobody. She's a widow. Life has passed you by. Goodbye, you had your shot. Who's Boaz? He's a son of a prostitute. He was an older bachelor, probably. Had some land. Nobody. Ruth leaves Moab. She gleans, knowing that Yahweh would meet her there. She risks the threshing floor. God blesses. Boaz, he blesses his own workers. He loves his own people. He treats Ruth, a woman, at risk with respect and love and sets her up for a win long before they get married. Boaz follows through in the simplest of ways. God works, God works, God works. Naomi leaves Moab, and she loves Ruth, and she loves Obed. And for her, that was a huge act of faith. Every move matters. And see this. Don't miss the irony here. Ruth, you know, the, the creed of, 
of Israel is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. They weren't doing that in the time of the judges. But also this. People forget this verse all the time. When a stranger sojourns in your land, and you shall do him no wrong, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? Because you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. You know how, you know how Israel relearned that? From the love of a Moabite. She taught them how to love the sojourner by doing it. She taught them an outsider. So know this. When you choose to act in faith, I don't care if it's blessing a coworker. I don't care if it's, I didn't want to come to church today, but I came, or doing something grandiose or change. Whatever God has for you, you are setting the future. God's providence works through the faithful actions of his people. It doesn't happen over your head. It happens through it happens through his people, the faithful remnant. We see this in Ruth, but it's true. Listen to this. Listen to this. this listen to how this ends. Being the blessing. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and then Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, and Obed, and then Jesse, and then David. David. This is the line of Judah. Israel needs a king. So in one respect, Ruth is setting up Israel to have a godly king. It's propping up David. We know that. But push it forward. Where does this end up? Anybody? You got it. You got it. But don't take my word for it. Watch this. Watch this. Matthew. It's almost Christmas. Go with me. Chapter 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, here we go, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, we've heard this, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth doesn't leave Moab. Jesus doesn't show up. Well, that's inconceivable. I just read you the Bible. If Ruth doesn't leave Moab in love for Naomi and choose to come under the wings of Yahweh and choose to put her life and her love at risk, there's no Jesus. Well, that sounds just inconceivable. Does that mean that everything depends on Ruth? No, it doesn't. It means every move matters. It means don't waste what God has given you. It means receive what God has, even if it's something you didn't ask for. It means that your faithfulness right now affects generations. Do you know, how, you know what the distance between Ruth's actions and Jesus was? Well over a thousand years. You could be affecting generations by your faithfulness or lack of it for the next millennia. This is how God works. This is how God works. Listen, as we close this up, a few things I want you to see. See the pattern of God's providence. He works through your life, friend. 
well, I'm, I have a hard time understanding how God, his sovereignty and my responsibility. Don't worry about it. Know that God is sovereign and act in faith. That's what you need to do. Period. Right? He's redeemer. He, he's got this. Um, secondly, you got to know that God is faithful. And he, he is so faithful. You can trust him. I promise you that. He's out to bless you. But it, it's awful. I know. This is one of the reasons we have a family here. And this is your redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer. Right? He is the one who gives up his life. He's the one that leaves heaven, comes down. He's the one that attaches himself to us, fully man, fully God, giving up his station willingly to absolutely blot out and wipe out sin or everything that separates you from God, from fullness of life, from destruction, ascends to the right hand of the Father. Death is not something that overcomes him, and it will be a transition for us who are in Christ. That is called full redemption. That is called full blessing. If you are holding on to that, you can let go of anything. In fact, you have to let go of everything. This is what he's calling us to do. So if if he's your redeemer, you need to hear this. Think about this. You need to make some decisions. Maybe you're like Ruth. Maybe the decision before you is you need to leave everything you know and turn your back on every plan you had. And like her, put your life in the hands of an unknown God and rest in his love. That might be you. I know there's some of you here. Follow her lead. You might be like Naomi, where you've basically lost everything. Life has passed you by. You feel the bitter cry of Esau as your own. Man, you, you, got, you, you got to let go of that. And you got to realize that God is writing a story. You got to let him have the pencil. And you got to walk. You got to trust him. We need you. We need to understand as a church how to get out of the pit of bitterness, and you're going to teach us. But you've got to trust God. You've got to move there first. You've got to receive God's blessing. Some of you, like Ruth, need to believe it. Trust Jesus for the first time. Some of you, like Naomi, need to receive God's blessing. And some of you are Boaz. You're like, I don't fit anywhere. I'm just doing my thing. I don't even know how God's grace works into my life or through my life. You need to be God's blessing, man. You need to take the privilege and the goodness and the things that you have, and you need to turn them into right now blessings for other people. That is God's will for your life. How do you know? Because it's in scripture all over. This is what God wants for you, that you will actively seek to be a blessing. Quit worrying about, I don't, well, it doesn't feel good to me. I feel like God feels distant. You're not looking in the right place. He's got... Look up. He's called us to be a blessing and to live like this together. Believe this. Receive it. Be God's blessing. This is who he's calling you to be. When we started this series in September 8th, I asked you to write one thing in your journal. My every move matters. We're going to take 30 seconds, maybe 60 at the most. If you can scroll back to that in your little, where you wrote that. I know that God has laid on your heart a move you need to make. It might be like Ruth, that you're going to believe. It might be like Naomi, that you're going to receive. Or like, by, by, um, I can say this, 
I'll read it, Boaz, maybe like Boaz, where you need to just honestly pour into being a blessing. Or maybe it's something else. Um, as we close today, I'm, we'll pray in silence for 30 seconds. Just lift that up to the Lord. Write it down under that, that my every move matters, and this is the move I'm making. This is what God's calling me to do. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Um, we're just going to come to you now, just in silence, just for a moment. God, your grace is never static in our life. I pray that you'd reveal to everyone here the move you're calling them to make. Don't wait. Do it. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are a redeemer, that you, pu- that you chase us down and pull us from death. I pray that you, like this story, like the faithfulness of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, ignited a nation to receive a king. I pray that you ignite our hearts, Lord, to receive King Jesus and run with him, Lord. I pray that. In the name of Jesus, amen.